0: Welcome to Lead Today with me, Kalina. Let's talk leadership. First, I always forget to do this when we're recording, but I just want to thank you for being here because it really does mean a lot. I love following along with your work and all the information that you share with people to help educate them about taking responsibility for their health. And so I'd love for you to just share maybe a little bit about who you are and
1: and what work you do in your own words, if you don't mind. Sure, yeah, I'm uh, Dr. Bradley Campbell. I run a holistic integrative clinic with about 10 people just outside of Chicago, Illinois, in the United States of America. Um, I went to school for chiropractic and naturopathic and then acupuncture school, and I also got um, side specializations that I'm finishing up. A couple, three I have, I'm working on the last two, but it's I also studied specializations in nutrition, neurology, homeopathy, internal medicine, and applied kinesiology, and I did like 120, 130 different seminars in the four years I was in school. So I basically did more training than almost anybody in my field ever has done, and um, at a pretty young age. So I have a pretty like broad perspective on like of all the natural health options, what sort of like is grounded in science and what's like cutting edge, because a lot of things that are grounded in a lot of things that are still grounded in science are not yet like accepted like 20 years ago probiotics and vitamin d were bunk science and you were a voodoo doctor for giving probiotics and now it's like mainstream so it's like it's helpful to go to a school that was very science-based and then also have like all types of training in the most like commonly accepted western medicine and drugs and surgery and that whole training in pharmacology and then also training in more of like energetics and emotional work and trauma therapy and all the things that are kind of like cutting edge that are really popular in therapy and psychology and really popular in the alternative community, but aren't fully accepted yet. But people are starting to wake up to it because they're getting amazing results. And um, yeah, so we get amazing results on a daily basis at our office. Even just yesterday we were talking about like miracles that happen on a regular basis. I'm like, I need to start speaking up on more of this stuff. And that's really why I started a nonprofit and speaking up um, right when the pandemic started was because we were going to help um, homeless and um, low income people around Chicago and then because of the pandemic we couldn't have local events so we started going more to online community stuff and um, we did that for about a year trying to figure out what worked then once I just started posting daily funny videos and like drive to work summaries of what people wanted to hear about it just kind of like took off and I think the the regular daily content really like exploded my world and the last six months. And so we've been deleted twice just for sharing about natural healthcare and commenting on the benefits and risks of everything that's going on with the pandemic, both from like hospital options, surgical options, um, injection options, like just trying to give people true informed consent is no longer considered acceptable on social media in the United States and most of the world. Because if you go against anything that the federal governing bodies say, you can get like labeled or fact-checked or just fully deleted if you get too much attention so that's kind of been my story so I've sort of been despite getting deleted twice we still just kind of keep coming back and rising like a phoenix and just giving people like a balanced trying to be unbiased like informed consent and saying like look these things make sense for these people but not these people and here's the science for and against these things and here I'm actually doing research on injections in blood work in like traditional labs before and after people take the injection. And that video reached a couple million people because it's just something that I think the general public deserves to know, but it has not been told of because we're pretty much one of the only doctors in the world who's doing that type of research, but it's drastically important to know how it does affect your body. Um, Cause that's what people at the end of the day want to know. They just want to know the information so they can make a decision. And I respect whatever decision people have will or will make, um, about their bodies but we're just trying to educate as many people as possible and um let them make their own decisions
0: yeah Whoa. i mean a great a great story and mission and i guess you said so many things the, the, the <laughs> first thing that came to mind. no just I've, i had so many questions popping up throughout but one of them you mentioned Um, you know probiotics now being mainstream but you're seeing success with some other things and you listed off a few but what are you seeing the best success with right now that you think is underrated or maybe not mainstream that people should check out because that was kind of yeah i'm
1: interested
0: personally what you're finding is
1: working um i'm finding that breath work and acupuncture are two big ones that are kind of like up and coming like people know of meditation and yoga has become mainstream i think in most places but meditation is still a hard thing for people to get into so if you say breath work they're willing to breathe in a certain pattern for 5 10 20 minutes but they don't realize that yoga that breath work that going for a walk is all meditative in a sense like just focusing on something is meditative so i think breath work is kind of like my way to hack people into meditating and getting into that habit and then acupuncture is also i think really up and coming um it's something that in the United States was considered assault and battery. It was illegal to practice acupuncture or study it until I think the late '70s or early '80s, when Ronald Reagan went, or one of our presidents went to China, saw how great it was, and then was like, "Okay, we need to make this actually something that we need to study." And they did some studies at UCLA and Stanford, two big schools here, and then they said, "Like, okay, this is working like 80, 90 percent of the time. Let's actually make this legal and start having schools that are like legitimate, have legitimacy behind them." And, um, it's one of those things that's taken, it takes medicine about 50 years to fully change when they learn that something is wrong or bad, or they're doing the wrong thing or something new comes along. It takes about 20 to 30 years to sort of become incorporated into the general, um, use. And then it takes, um, about 50 years for medical schools to start teaching that it's not complete nonsense. So like vitamin D and probiotics kind of are in that realm. Acupuncture is up and coming for pain and stress in that realm and, the effect that it has on blood flow and neurotransmitters and um, hormone levels is all kind of like up and coming because it's something that's been around for a long time. But science is slowly starting to prove that it works, which is part of why in the pandemic, it's taking everybody so long to figure out what real science is behind masks, behind injections, behind drugs, behind lockdowns behind all the stuff it's like it takes a long time to sort of like prove something in a peer-reviewed study, and then in a meta-analysis, and then like 10, 20 years to fully get accepted. So it takes the general public and science a long time to figure stuff out, um, which is why I've had this slogan all year, which is logic is fast, science is slow. And one of your questions you asked beforehand was sort of like, how do people really, truly know like what to do or who to trust? And it's like, first and foremost, you have to trust yourself and your gut, and your intuition. But if you have enough science and medical logic where you can sort of discern for yourself what makes sense and what doesn't make sense then you can use that logic that you have and your own reason to sort of filter through the advice that keeps changing especially at the beginning of the pandemic it was like masks work they don't work please don't get one please get them now we're two now we're three now we're one it's like it's changed every week it seems like over here in in the towns it will be like wear them now don't wear them and Advice doesn't make sense. That like, why would you uh, need to wear a mask to to your table at a restaurant, and then as soon as you get down, you can take it off? Like, it just there's stuff that doesn't make logical sense that people see through when they think for themselves. And um, I think that's really how you know what to do. Is like, you have to, unfortunately, kind of have to critically think for yourself and start to say like, doesn't make sense that I would be risking my life for other people's life or risking spreading a germ when I have to wear a mask for 20 seconds to walk to my table at a restaurant and then take it off. And it's like, if we can do that, or if we can go on an airplane, why can't we have kids in school with or without masks? Like there's just a lot of logical questions that can be asked and that people are asking themselves, but they've sort of been taught or trained or led to believe that they are not allowed to think for themselves or act differently. At least in the United States, it's built into our culture to rebel and break off from England. So like we're used to kind of like, rebelling and I'm a motorcyclist and motorcyclists are also known to sort of like go against the grain and we're used to being black sheep but a lot of countries a lot of places Canada specifically mentioned like are not as used to that it's not as built into their culture and um here it certainly is but it's one of those things like we have to all learn that lesson of like maybe it's okay to be a little different and just think for yourself and act independently yeah I mean but
0: what do we do when our logic it's a great point And then the only thing in my head, because you're saying we're questioning, right? If we're questioning things, okay, this doesn't make sense, or I don't really agree with this point, but maybe I agree with another point that, you know, you don't I think we're in a place where it's this all, or it feels like it's all or nothing a lot of the time. And that's really hard as well, where it's like, I don't have to agree with everything you say. You don't have to agree with every single point I make, but that doesn't mean that we can't get through an hour long conversation and learn something from each other. And And potentially change our point of view in a certain number of points or topics. So, I, but I'm curious what we do then if our logic goes against what we're being told. Because, yeah, sure, in in my own home, I can make a choice, but there's so much compelling our action the second we step outside our doors. So, how do we go about that better? Because I think, I think you're doing a great job. But I think for a lot of people, that's, Scary, or it feels like there'd be big consequences, or you see really dramatic things on social media about people getting kicked out of stores, or you know, off of planes, or not being allowed to travel. Like, there's so many yeah. <sighs> regulations.
1: Yeah, uh, I think you just have to figure out where your comfortability and where your set point is, like what you feel comfortable with, like following. Directions or disobeying directions would be like if you have a medical exemption for wearing a mask, then you can kind of use that and do what you want. There's a guy, Jeff Weitzman, W J E F F W I T Z E M A N. He's got videos. He's been going all year in California into which is one of our most locked down states into different stores, into Sprouts and Trader Joe's, and basically like talking to them from. How our legal system, giving them paperwork and saying like, look, this is not legal in the United States. What you're doing is actually criminal. It's like, you should get a 10 to $20,000 fine per day. If you actually require something that's not fully like mandated, like a mandate is not law. If it's not law, then like, that's basically like harassment or discrimination. And so he kind of like is going against that and providing a light for people to sort of go against the grain. But I think the main thing is, like you said, people will have differing opinions. And you kind of have to be in a place where you're willing to be uncomfortable or you're willing to do what's right to be uncomfortable and like deal with some of that friction. And some people that'll create too much anxiety and panic that they won't be able to do it. But if they're not super anxious, they can sort of like push those boundaries. And there will be the bell curve of people who follow the mainstream, like they just follow along. There will be people who are like more following along than everybody else and trying to get everybody to comply. And then it'll be like your one to 10% who are the, the rebels that really like push the boundaries. And some people have the, the financial ability or the social ability to push the boundaries more than others, because if they go to jail, if they lose their job, like they're not really going to lose much or they don't care if they lose much. Some people are willing to die for their rights. Other people like they have kids, they're not willing to die at this point. So it sort of depends on what you're willing to lose. But I think having open conversations where you bring that love and acceptance, where if when you are talking to people who disagree, just saying what, exactly what you just said to kind of dis, like disarm people and say like, it's okay if we disagree. And I just want to know like what your stories are, what your beliefs are, what your opinions are. Because that's the biggest thing is someone, someone's story really and the life experiences that they've had during the pandemic or before really dictates how they, interpret what's been going on or how they interpret your their interactions with you they'll kind of knowingly or unknowingly put their belief systems onto you and sort of judge you in a way that they don't even know they're judging you because if someone has been through the pandemic and they've lost their job or they've lost their family members to who died with or from the germ that's been spreading around or if they've had really great reactions to the injection or they've had horrible reactions to the injection like whatever has happened or not happened to them um changes their entire interpretation and their experience so i think like having those open conversations was like what's your experience been even though we've all probably been pretty tired of talking about it it does really help sort of get an idea of like where they're at what they've sacrificed what suffering or not they've been through and um it, just having that open conversation of like we're going to differ and that's okay. I'll accept you and love you anyways. They're more likely to give that back to you. But I have seen some people who are like, I'm not going to accept or talk to anybody who doesn't believe exactly what I believe, or like, doesn't believe in this or that. And those people, you don't, it's not really worth fighting or not really worth talking about some of those things openly, because if they're not open-minded, there's really no changing their mind or having a thoughtful conversation. Yeah, fair.
0: Fair. Setting a you said a set point, or having clarity at the beginning about even an intention of a conversation makes complete sense. Well, and then you mentioned, I love the visual of the bell curve. Thinking about it that way, and you mentioned the rebels. I mean, what about the people that are kind of in the bell curve because they don't know what to do? Like, how do you remain rebellious? You know, like, is it riding your motorcycle? What what kind of keeps yeah. you in that place? Because I think people have these kind of maybe spurts of it or they kind of talk themselves into it but then it's um this isn't just about I think the past year it's like how we live our lives also like I do leadership and career development coaching I'm helping people switch jobs and it's it's the same sort of going from a place of fear of what am I going to do if I don't have my nine to five to okay I can be an entrepreneur or I can make the switch to something I prefer so it this isn't just grounded in the context of the current environment but really in our lives how how do you do that because I think you do it incredibly well and I mentioned humor before I think that's maybe one component of how you how you at least convey information really compellingly but curious how you do that
1: yeah um humor for me like making the funny videos has helped take some of my more like emotional moments and just funnel them into like a meme or real or a tiktok video right with captions and that's sort of what I do is I'll like get emotion about something and I'll scroll through a TikTok until I see something that kind of like has the same vibe or feeling that I'm feeling. And then add a caption and be like, Oh, this like, like, I'm just not going to care what people are thinking anymore. So I'm going to post a video of like a Yeti in a tutu. (laughs) scrolling through the mountains. That's just like, I just don't care. You know, I'm like posting controversial stuff. It's like, I just don't care that people (laughs) see my weird side anymore. So it's sort of like you take those moments and transmute them. But I think, um, for me, what helps is just thinking about like my life as a whole and thinking about not having any regrets, like speaking to my future kids or grandkids. It's like, would I be proud of the actions that I took if I were talking to my kids or grandkids? Like would I tell them, like, I just shut up and complied or like I stood up for what was right, even though it was uncomfortable, even though I like have been upset or harassed or I cried multiple times or I upset certain people. You also build a better community of people who have that same opportunity. And uh, there are other people who came before me that have inspired me. So it's following people on social media or listening to people who are inspiring. Uh, Ben Tapper was someone who's been speaking out for the last four years. Dr. Ben Tapper in, uh, he's in, uh, no, he's not in Tulsa. I literally just visited him actually, but he's, um, just an inspiration and he had a speech that went viral and he's gotten tons of harassment because of it um, because it went to millions of people within hours because he spoke out at a local town council meeting just about like why are we not focusing on health why are we focusing on disease why are we not trying to empower people and strengthen their immune systems and it's a very clear point that everyone's sort of been wondering but um, just seeing other people who have a clear throat chakra and like can express their voice clearly and just don't care what people think Is inspiring for me. And then also when I'm with patients every single day, I see the level of suffering that they have because of lockdowns. I've known more children who have died locally from suicide because of closed schools or lockdowns and the pandemic, like consequences of the pandemic for me, I've seen more deaths because of that, or because of the medical interventions than I have from the actual germ itself. Like we've treated over a thousand people who had the germ. We We were testing people for it. Um, over a thousand people tested positive and we treated them all and they all were fine none of them even had to go to the hospital so like my story is one of like the consequences of the lockdown here have been worse than the germ itself Um, so that's kind of my my story in a nutshell but I think every day I see parents coming in crying or kids coming in crying about the pandemic lockdowns and the how it's affected their lives and that just makes me like Motivated, I guess, to keep going, to keep pushing. So I sort of like take the suffering and um, transmute it into funniness or transmute it into trying to spread more like love and truth and acceptance for people and sort of give people the big picture perspective, which is why I keep saying immune systems and pandemics. Like you can lock down for as long as you want, you can inject people as long as you want. But at the end of the day, once the germ has spread enough, it's not going away. It's kind of like saying like, we're just going to pretend like we can lock down and hide from the flu. Like there's always going to be either a flu or a sea illness or Corona cold, common cold. Like there's always going to be something around that's just going to be infecting people because every year, 70, 80% of the population gets each virus all the time and masks that virologists really wear are like full hazmat suits. So like a cloth or even an N95 is not enough to stop viral materials it's enough to stop bacteria it's enough to stop the water droplets it's enough to help a little bit but only like one or two percent according to our cdc data um so it says like it's a little helpful but it's not nearly as much as people think and um it's just like the common sense of like the lockdowns have created hundreds of millions of people who have gone hunger gone hungry in third world countries like the first world countries have benefited from lockdowns at the expense of third world countries and Tens of millions of people are starving, um, dying of starvation when like we're preventing millions of deaths from maybe the sealants or trying to delay those things to prepare our hospitals. But the consequences of doing that on a global perspective have been much worse um, to lock down than they have been to not lock down. So it's one of those things that's like Australia, Canada, New Zealand, they did really well at locking down in like a communistic style way in a really harsh way. And that actually did help. But once the germ spreads enough in your country, then... It's somewhat inevitable that um, you can't fully stop it as we've seen in the U.S., which is why in the U.S., the states that have locked down the hardest have done much worse than the states that have not locked down. So it's this weird, like, why has this worked when well, that hasn't worked? Why is Florida and Texas and South Dakota and um, Wyoming, like, why are they not locked down? And their rates of death and cases are extremely better than California and New York and the places that lock down harder than anywhere. And are continuing to lock down despite the fact that it hasn't helped. So it's it's very interesting. It's just those questions that people ask, where they're like, "Why is that?" And that's sort of the way I think we start waking people up a little bit and making them more aware. And um, I could go on about for days, but I think, yeah, that's well, really. Why the is way that? that? But that is
0: But why is that? I I still I, so if I'm not seeing if I'm in my house and I'm not seeing people and I'm just here all the time. Why isn't that working? I mean, in one way, right? It might be. It might feel logical that, okay, if I don't see anybody, then I can't catch something. So why isn't that working?
1: Um, well, I think fully isolating does work, right? That's kind of what we saw in China with the initial outbreak. If you do keep people well, in their houses, it does work. However, in apartment buildings, it doesn't fully work, which people might not want to hear, but they found that the viral particles will spread like two to three stories, even if sometimes 10 to 20 stories in big apartment buildings through the plumbing system. So like if someone has the sea illness and they're throwing up or they have, they're pooping out the sea, the viral material in their toilet, it'll actually spread to other toilets and then aerosolize into their bathrooms. So like there was research in China that was showing like, if it's in an apartment building, it might actually spread to other people like 10 to 20 stories away from the initial case. Um, So like, even if you're in an apartment building, you might not be protected because someone in your building could literally spread it through like the plumbing system or through the ventilation systems. Um, So people don't realize how many viruses there are all the time. There's actually a quadrillion viruses in a square meter of air, which means there's more viruses around your head than there are stars in the entire universe. (laughs) So you can't really avoid them. You can avoid like bringing new ones into your space somewhat if you have like a house if you're more separated from somebody else but you can't always avoid them and when you do go to the grocery store you do like unless you're fully locked down and getting these delivered to your house there's still going to be some viral material on the stuff you're getting delivered it's usually not enough on surfaces to actually cause an infection but when you're going to indoor stores to get your groceries or go shopping or whatever um, you're still getting some exposure to the quadrillions of viruses that are there. So there's truly no avoiding germs at all. Like you can't be a full hypochondriac because it doesn't make logical sense to be a hypochondriac just because you can avoid certain things. You can avoid like trying to get an STD from someone by not having sex with someone who has an STD. The germ theory is still very real, but it's just there are so many viruses that it's very difficult to avoid airborne ones in the world that we live in unless you're in a tight lockdown place. But America did not fully lock down 30 some percent of people were still going to work so they were still kind of like spreading things and then they would go to the grocery store or the grocery store workers would get it or a restaurant worker would get it if the restaurants weren't fully shut down and so it would keep spreading um and a lot of the places in tight cities were also higher at risk so like new york and la and all houston miami some of the bigger cities were at high risk just because of population density. But the fact that there are so many viruses and once it's aerosolized, it's basically like trying to avoid dust or trying to avoid allergy season. Like even if you're locked in your house, you can't fully avoid getting air from outdoors. So like the dust and allergy allergens that are floating around outside, you can't truly avoid all of it. So there were people who were staying at home. Uh, My grandma was actually staying at home and fully locked down for like six months. And she got a bladder infection. She actually had dementia and COPD and emphysema and strokes the months before and she got a bladder infection that turned into a kidney infection then she got the C illness and then she passed away in December but she was staying at home right so it's like how did she get it when she was at home the whole time having like virtual appointments and medications delivered so it goes back to like it's kind of like avoiding dust or pollen or like if your system is really run down if you're elderly you're at higher risk of getting some of those exposures so I think Staying at home has not proven to be like the end all be all for everybody.
0: I'm so sorry to hear that, also. That's really difficult. No matter what the cause, it's always difficult to lose someone that you love. And I, yeah, I, so you mentioned before the strengthening of the immune system. So if someone is run down, they're just more likely to catch anything.
1: Um, And a good point, too, is like a lot of people sometimes have the um viral material in their body and it comes out later that's a point that's actually been kind of ignored by even me and like most people is that like potentially you could have an exposure to the c19 germ and it could be in your body it could be like part of your um the millions or billions of viruses that you have in your body all the time and then it could come out when you get sick later right so it's kind of like you get a cold sore like you might not get a cold sore right away but when you're stressed out the cold sore comes out or you had the chicken pox before you didn't really notice you got it but then later you get the shingles it's a well-known phenomenon that when you inject against uh one type of to protect against one virus that other viruses can actually like overgrow or come out it's sort of like in a i tell people the analogy is like you're in a classroom with a bunch of and you have a couple maybe like five of the 20 kids are bullies But there's one kid who's the biggest, baddest bully. And that's why like the flu and the common cold and all these other things are sort of like tempered right now. They're not on a high level because the C-19 was sort of like the biggest bully in the classroom. So that's the one that's like acting out. And if you cut off their head or you take them to the principal's office or you get rid of the big, bad bully with an injection or with whatever, then the other one sometimes will start to like become the next biggest bully. And they're the one that's going to start bullying everybody else. And with injections, that's known to happen where you'll inject against one thing and sometimes other viruses, other germs will actually shed out of people or it'll create a different virus that comes out of people who are getting the Bell's palsy, which is often a viral type of illness. So there's a lot of other infections and viruses that will actually bump up because of the you like lower one and the other ones kind of raise up because if your immune system is still weak enough to allow any virus to sort of like pop out, if your teacher is weak and can't control viruses and your immune system is weak, then you're going to have some other virus that takes over instead.
0: I know the the typical answers, right? Like get sunlight and go walking and and be outside. I've been finding though, if I'm honest, the social component has been really, I don't know that that, I, I can't correlate it to my immune system necessarily, but it's just been hard to not see friends for a long time and and just feel and those little interactions community interactions like i don't know how to explain i mean obviously i still go to the grocery store or whatever but just those i don't know like co-working spaces or i used to have so many more very informal interactions throughout the day that i find i'm I'm really missing so i don't know what else we can do for our immune system and i don't know if socially there's something point to but i i found that to be challenging
1: definitely challenging i mean we need community and love and physical touch in order to bolster our immune system and just our mental state like period um a lot of people who take away community take away love they'll like they just choose to not even live anymore like it's like the number one human desire above all things above food above water above like having a house and security is love and we can get it somewhat through social media and like video chatting and technology. That's why I think we're not completely going insane. But if you were to take away those things, that would be like solitary confinement if you didn't have your phone or computer. And that's a punishment worse than the death punishment, worse than like being put to trial and put to death in the United States. Solitary confinement is like the, the worst possible punishment we hold for prisoners in our um, like judiciary system. So it's the worst possible judgment is like isolation. And that's basically what we've been doing. So I think what the only answer is to sort of say, okay, I'm going to get like my pod of people who I'm willing to touch or interact with, whether it's your husband or whether it's like a friend group who believes the same thing. I think it's just starting to reach out, speak out to people and be like, look, can we make a little pod of people? Cause I'm really like struggling and just being open enough and honest and vulnerable enough to say like, I need some interaction. I need to like hang out with some friends. On like a daily or weekly basis just so i have something to like look forward to helps keep people going through it. i know some places like madrid and certain cities like they wouldn't even allow people to leave their apartment or walk more than a block without like a cart or their dog like to the corner and back or whatever which is really rough um, i think that's very psychologically damaging and we're gonna have to deal with a lot of those mental health effects like after the fact but um, i think the more you can push or go right up to the limits of what you're like legally allowed to do or and then a little bit past or not past those things i think that's helpful so you just have to kind of try as best you can to to have that community as as soon as possible
0: yeah it's it's i don't know it's talked about now but i think the effects of not being physically connected to people that just were underestimated at least in the beginning mm-hmm i really hope that everybody especially people that live alone like my mom she lives alone and i just it's really excruciating and on the psychological psychological level and you mentioned at the beginning you talked about trauma also but helping to heal emotional traumas and not to say that well people might be emotionally traumatized by some of this stuff so what do we do there is it also the breath work that you mentioned before or how do we heal traumas that's probably a big question but how do we go about healing traumas because there's so many different modalities there's so many different like there's tapping and all kinds of practitioners and it can feel overwhelming actually when you go to the alternative medicine or alternative healing space because there's so many options
1: yep um i use a technique that i don't know is very big in switzerland called neuro emotional technique or net They have a website, netmindbody.com, which you might be able to find some Switzerland practitioners. They're all around the States and Australia and I think in Canada, but um, there's, yeah, like you said, there's a million different ways to do it. Um, Different therapists will help with that. There's body-based therapists who do um, EMDR or somatic experiencing or um, SP sensor motor psychotherapy. So there's like basically like physical body-based therapists for extreme trauma and just, I think therapy in general or counseling is a really good way for everyone to kind of like talk through some of what's been going on for them. Um, But there is acupuncture, there is yoga trauma release, there is breath work, there is meditation, there is just journaling. Um, The holistic psychologist, Nicole LaPera has a lot of like free resources and journaling to help with deal with your own trauma and your own stuff. So I think the holistic psychologist is a good like Instagram resource for people. And it's very grounded in, science because a lot of people just throw around the word trauma um, because a lot of things can be traumatizing it could be like oh I got my dog you know bit my hand the other day and that was a trauma but really like didn't bother me or there could be like my dad abused me when I was a kid that's a really big trauma so there's various degrees when people say depression and anxiety and trauma it's like but what was it what does it mean for you how much does it still impact your life um you don't you you're never going to go through all of your subconscious emotional baggage or all of your trauma but you can start to decrease the impact it has on your life and a lot of times just talking to somebody is helpful for that and um, just stepping back taking time for self-reflection is helpful too to sort of like go back and self-reflect there is a good study in psychology that actually showed if you think about the worst thing that's happened in your life in the last year or like ever in your life and you think about it and write write it down for or think about it for 30 minutes um three times three days so like 30 minutes a day three times that day for three days it makes your life drastically worse for about a week and then your life the rest of your entire life gets way way better right so it's like it's like you can just process it yourself and that's a lot of what the holistic psychologist does with her journaling practice like a little short journaling every day but if you really just like focus and self-reflect on some of those traumas and you really sit down and like think about it or meditate on it a couple times a day for just a few days your brain will know what to do and we'll start processing it. Your body will start releasing that. You can start like feeling the tension and just physically releasing it. So a lot of people, when they get into nature or they just self reflect and give themselves time and space to heal, their bodies will just start to heal on its own.
0: Oh, I love that answer because I've been doing, um, I've been looking into Germanic medicine. I don't know if you've heard about yeah. it. But, and I, I love that baseline just assumption that your body is actually incredibly smart it doesn't make mistakes is what this school of thought talks about and um that we do need to give it time and space but we need to be aware of the comp they call it the conflicts i guess so but we need to be aware of them so i don't know if you have you actually have the chart here have you heard of it before yeah i
1: have i really like it i think there's a few things in medicine it tends to like downplay or ignore sometimes from like a structural health or a you know even like the germ theory and stuff but i do feel like it's very important to study and learn about because the psycho-emotional aspects it's really really good at addressing and the thing is from my perspective there can be multiple and there usually are infinite causes for any one problem so it's sort of like if you were to say well I broke my arm. And you're like, well, why did you break your arm? It's like, well, I tripped over the curb. Well, why do you trip over the curb? It's like, well, you had a concussion years ago that led your brain to be imbalanced from your left to your right side. So like your left leg was longer and then you tripped because your left leg was longer, but you also tripped because you were focusing on your phone and not where you were walking because someone like your dog was in the hospital and just passed away. So you were really sad about that. So there was like an emotional component because you were sad and distracted. You also had like a past physical trauma. You also maybe were like sick with the flu. And so your nervous system wasn't functioning as well. And you had to take off from work where normally you wouldn't even be walking near that curb that you tripped over. So like there's always infinite causes, but I think just identifying a couple of them. And especially the mind body perspective, I think is really the root cause for most every issue. And 90% of the reason people go to the doctor for anything is because of stress. So I think like dealing with the mind body component is usually the most overlooked in medicine these days but the most important and critical piece to look at and the germanic medicine um, is probably one of the best systems aside from like louise hay that i've ever found um, who wrote you can heal your, your body um, at like sort of diving into like the emotional psychic spiritual causes for all disease which is really critical and honestly one of the biggest ways to help people who aren't being helped after they've seen like 20 or 50 doctors it's like they're usually not addressing that emotional piece of the emotional side of the story
0: oh I love it and I wish it just takes me to another question I had around I wish there were more doctors like you were openly like you I mean I'm not I wish I was in Chicago so I could just come and <laughs> see you although I guess online we can access doctors that are anywhere at this point which is right. quite useful but how do we find a doctor that's a good fit because not everyone can i mean i'm essentially getting to interview now you now and understand your philosophy understand what you stand for and and how you practice but how do we pick especially so in canada you can't really pick because it's a public system also right so like you can pick your you can pick your primary care physician but kind of beyond that with specialists and stuff it's sort of you get given whatever specialist is available and you can wait a year plus for that specialist so yeah. how do how do we work with the medical profession because you've just said a huge piece on how we can heal ourselves to a big degree if we take some ownership yeah. but some, yeah. when, so when do we cross over into doctors and how do we pick a doctor it's it's all kind of I had a very hard time with my grandfather around this um he had his leg amputated yeah. and there was medical error and so we just went down the rabbit hole of human error in medicine and so yeah long story short to say it's tough to find healthcare providers that share your point of view and our support rather than potentially being i mean almost detrimental sometimes
1: to right. our health totally i mean yeah medicine in the us it's like the number one saver of lives but also like number one two or three killer of lives like more people it's admittedly the number three leading cause of death in America is because of medical error. But if you take into account the two biggest ones are heart disease and cancer. And a lot of times medicine is not doing the right thing for heart disease um, or giving the right dietary advice. And they're also maybe the number one like killer. So it's this weird system of like medicine saves us and we need them to help us and keep us alive and keep us safe and like take care of us when we're really ill, but also medical error and just the medical system is not really helping create health. So it's differentiating between like doctors and healers. So doctors are there to sort of save your life and healers are there to help you heal and make you healthier and teach you how to be healthier. Doctors typically don't have enough time. Most doctors don't have enough time to truly learn that in school. Like most don't learn in school, but they don't have time to often really teach you how to live healthier, how to eat healthier, they don't get a lot of nutrition and training and healthy lifestyle. They don't deal with like mind body medicine. So it's sort of, if you can afford when you have like the issues, maybe your um, family had, if you can afford the right doctor to take care of the situation. That's like the acute problem at hand. That's great. But when you get into more chronic issues, it's like, how do we get to nutritionists or healers or functional medicine practitioners? And the biggest key I have for that is just asking people in your community for who they see, what type of nutritionists or naturopaths or functional medicine practitioners or acupuncturists or chiropractors or healers that they've seen and had good success with, because you can look for some with all the degrees or certifications and you go see them and your personalities don't jive or they just, they don't do what they say they do, or they trained in all this stuff, but they're doing something entirely different. So I think finding someone in your area that you ask on like Facebook or your community forums or just in your life-to-life. Life. If you ask local friends and family or people who they see, um, that's really helpful. And if some people don't have the financial capability to forward those people or don't, their insurance doesn't cover it. And a lot of times, unfortunately, insurance doesn't cover healers. They don't cover people who actually help you be healthy. So if you, you do sometimes need like the, enough money to basically budget for that or to start to value that enough to budget for it because if you're buying really fancy clothes or cars but you're sick and unhappy it's not really gonna be any use so it's like maybe you should spend a little bit less over here and a little bit more on your own health and realizing that insurance doesn't always make you healthy or keep you healthy so maybe you spend more on a trainer or a gym or healers on see who you see on a regular basis but i think asking around your community is honestly like it's kind of a cop-out answer but it's really like one of the best things that has worked for people is just asking their friends and family, like which practitioners they've seen that they like and which ones they've seen that they didn't like and why.
0: Yeah. I mean, word of mouth for anything, I think is always, we use it for restaurants. Why don't we, why don't we think about it for doctors? I mean, and I think we do, I think people do, but it's a really good reminder. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I wonder, gosh, so many different angles we could go I guess I'm still so one thing that you mentioned was around dietary I don't know if there's something that you kind of that could be a whole episode in and of itself but um so I recently interviewed Tammy Peterson and she was talking about carnivore and so she actually only eats lamb which is obviously very restrictive and specific to heal a very specific condition but so I wonder where you are on that spectrum or what you think about you know there's this Vegan camp and very strong opinionated vegan camp, and then there are people that are kind of paleo or in between, and then there's this whole. It's very difficult actually when it comes to eating, and I I know I could we could just answer and say okay we'll just intuitively eat like there's this whole intuitive eating phenomenon okay. also which makes some sense to me logically too just eating for your body but I'm curious what you say around nutrition because of course we are what we eat so it's an important yeah. piece
1: yeah. Um, I think you kind of answered it for me in a way like I think uh, they're all correct for various people at various times I think into like ideally I think intuitive eating is the way to go but you also need just general healthy principles you don't have to eat like perfectly or eat healthy all of the time but I think eating having generally healthy principles like trying to eat more local or seasonal or fresh or organic or wild caught or grass fed or, you know, um, low toxic food and trying to eat stuff that doesn't have lots of labels or ingredients, the ingredients you recognize the ingredients that's not super processed. I think the more you can get to like the basics of like, how do I eat more natural and healthy, the better. That said, like natural is not always healthy because like you could eat rocks and die, or raw what? red kidney beans will actually kill you. So if you don't cook like certain beans, they'll actually kill you. Um, so they're like there oh. are certain things, right? Like people don't know they always eat cooked beans, but they're like why are they cooked? Because raw beans sometimes will actually kill you. So like there's different like things that our ancestors have done for thousands of years that like make sense. Um, to prepare your food or like if you go out in the forest and you just pick random berries or mushrooms, like some of those berries and mushrooms are toxic and some aren't. So natural is not always healthy, but the general principle of like eating less processed, eating more natural, eating more fresh, not eating the same thing every day, kind of mixing it up and um, trying to, I think, use your intuition to guide what type of thing to do is helpful. I do think going through restrictive phases is very helpful. So saying I'm going to cut out sugar or do a whole 30 or do carnivore or do vegan or do vegetarian for a bit and see how your body reacts to those different experiments is very helpful. Um, Or to do like, I'm going to do a cleanse or I'm going to do a fast can be for 12 hours or 24 hours or a longer water fast with help or not without help. Like I think experimenting is very helpful. Um, The biggest thing for most people is usually just like, how do I start to limit the sugar content in my diet and get enough fluids. Like most people are over caffeinating over alcoholing and over sugaring themselves. And they're not getting enough hydrating non-caffeinated fluids like soups or broths or lemon water, or even a little like apple cider vinegar here and there just enough water, usually like half your body weight in ounces a day. Um, So if you're like 150 pounds, it'd be like 75 fluid ounces of something hydrating most days um, up to like a gallon or hundred, 120 ounces which I think is like three, three and a half liters of water max for most people. But like, anyways, I think for most people, it's just going back to the basics. Like most people are like, they're like, I am I had, I was at dinner last night at a vegetarian restaurant and I don't do well with vegetarian or vegan. Like when I tried it, I got really depressed and really tired because I'm how very young you? and energized. I, was not, oh,
0: yeah, I was couldn't not do good. it.
1: Yeah, I was really bad. So it's like, okay, well, that's your experience and that's not going to work for you. And we were having a conversation about how, there was a video I saw that said avocados and almonds are really hard on the environment. Like farming almonds takes tons of water. So they're like, well, that's not sustainable. I'm not going to do that. And there, another person was like, well, I watched a documentary on fish and how fishing is like really bad for the ocean and the earth. And so like, I'm not going to eat fish. And Someone else was like, well, I watched a video on avocados and they said for every avocado farmed if you eat an avocado a day that actually like ends up killing all these animals. Cause it has to destroy the habitats of animals. So like 20 birds and 20 ground animals. And it like takes away money from these other products. So like, I'm not going to eat avocados anymore. And it's like, you could go down the line and say, every possible food is bad for the environment. So it's not necessarily that like the circle of life is real. And like the planet is made to make animals and make vegetables and make fish. We just have to start loving our planet more and farming with correct farming practices for plants, vegetables, fruit for animals, like if we start farming and raising animals in a sustainable way, that's environmental environmentally friendly, then I think you lose sort of that like I'm eating vegetarian or vegan because it's good for the planet line, which is very common, but it's like we don't have to eat factory farmed animals if we have enough money to do so. But um, I think, like you said, if you ate vegetarian or vegan and you ate really poorly, then maybe that doesn't work for you. So you try, you could try doing more of like a paleo or more anti-inflammatory or more Mediterranean. Like there's a lot of options and all of the healthiest options typically are anti-inflammatory or are plant-based or just real food-based. But inflammation is not always a bad thing because some people are so young deficient, like their thyroid adrenals are really low. And those people often thrive on a carnivore diet, because it's very young, it's very nutrient dense, it's very warming. So like people with low circulation, those it can actually help them sometimes, but big picture perspective, carnivore diets do sometimes lose their efficacy after a while, and they are lacking in other nutrients that you might want in your life too. So I think you have to look at the big picture. But the person, when we were eating dinner at the vegetarian restaurant behind us, they were like, well, I'm vegetarian. This is very common. They were like, I'm vegetarian and I'm vegan, but once in a while I'll eat chicken and once in a while I'll eat pork and I really, really like cheese. So (laughs) if it has those things, I guess I'll eat it, but I'm still a vegan. And we're like, but like, that's the problem is like people like I'm healthy eater or they'll come in as a new page and they're like, I'm a really healthy eater, but I also like have ice cream every night. And I also have my coffee with cream in the mornings, but I'm like dairy free, but I do still do my half and half. So it's like, if you're going to be restrictive, it's like, you can't be half pregnant. You might as well like go full bore and like try to do like, if you can only do it for a day or a week, like do it for that. But don't, don't try to like cheat yourself or be dishonest with yourself and tell yourself like you're gluten free when you're really not, or tell yourself you're dairy free when you're really not, and you're still eating like yogurt or cheese. So it's like good to be restrictive, but you also want to be truthful and honest with yourself about like, okay, I'm not really dairy-free right now, and that's okay. Like, it's okay not to be perfect. It's okay to still have some of those things. It's okay to try to get raw cheese and raw milk that's healthier, and your body can still tolerate it. Because I do think most people in the health world are overly restrictive, and it can get to a place of orthorexia that causes more problems than good. So it's sort of like honoring the fact that it's okay to not be restrictive at the same time. It's okay to try those things for a bit, but it's also good to, like try to still live in the world and eat most things if you're able to
0: yeah i love that and just this labeling idea also right it's like you can be not you know i i did 30 days where i was just eating red meat and i can do that but i don't have to be a carnivore like i can also then decide to it's kind of this labeling again wanting to really put things into structured boxes to be able to i guess wrap our heads around them and so it's like i need to take that on as my identity it's like okay but you had a fish or pork or whatever you had the other day like it it, that there's that dissonance between my identity and and what I did and so people really I think struggle and I don't know I don't know why we've gravitated toward that toward needing that label around what we're eating you know like I don't
1: I think it's a general concept we've been so ingrained in and changed by technology in ways I don't think we even realize yet. And because we're inundated with information and people and videos and social media tweets and posts, I think we have to most, when we're scrolling through most things get one to two seconds of our attention. And then we scroll past. If you, Facebook only counts like a view on advertising is more than two seconds of watching. So if you watch for more than two seconds, they count that as like a success which two seconds is like nothing, but you're so inundated that you have to quickly categorize, do I want this or not? And I think our brains, our psychology always tries to categorize everything into people into like labels, but the duality and the binaryism and the polarity that's been created is probably one of the biggest evils we have to start to actively fight. It's like that militant war of like Republican, Democrat or left, right, or this, that, or me versus you. Type of labeling. And we are inherently tribal as humans, but we have to start to shift away from this tribal dualism, this militant like fighting thing of like we're either for or against the jab, or we're for or against this, and start to realize like we're all complex, nuanced humans, and we all have shades of gray. And we all have light and dark sides. We all do good and bad things. We don't have to cancel someone for their belief. We don't have to label ourselves as just because I try this means that I am this. Um, and start to give each other a little bit more grace and love and kindness and complexity, and know that as social media keeps rising, we will have that inherent tendency to sort of say like, up. Oh, this is a this person, or they're an Australian, or they're a Canadian, or they're a Swiss. Um, citizen or whatever it is you it's inherent in our in our brains to categorize But we have to then step back and look at the bigger picture and say oh they're still a complex human too and they've probably done lots of things in their life and they're more than just like a a quick label would have us believe
0: oh yeah so so important both on a policy or a broad level but then also in our day-to-day dealings with just people to understand them more i think yeah. So I mean, I'm I'm just looking at the time. I, I want to squeeze in one more question because we really did touch upon, I think, the, the mental side of things, the physical side, the emotional side we, we really looked at. Um, and you mentioned a couple things about a little bit into the spiritual space, I guess. I mean, through so chakras are more energy related, but I guess mm-hmm. I just wanted to touch upon the spiritual side of things, just yeah, without going down a crazy rabbit hole. But what what part does that play in in health? Because I think to your point of science is slow. I think we get the emotional stuff to some degree, like it's coming into the front lines, but spirituality and health or our being is still very, very controversial, which is interesting because in Switzerland, actually you still, the government and the church is still related here. So if you're in um, like you pay taxes for property taxes or income or whatever, um, you can also, if you're a member of a church, like the Catholic church or Protestant, you would be paying taxes to the church within your state bills. It's still mm-hmm. connected, which I, it's kind of a, wow. I I didn't know that about Switzerland before being here. So it's point being, it used to be very inherently connected to our day-to-day lives in a lot of ways for most people. And I think that's also kind of shifted in the past yeah whatever, 50, 50 hundred years or so. So I'm just curious where spirituality fits into this whole discussion we've been having about uh, health.
1: Yeah, this is great. I think spirituality is crucial and very needed. Um, people often hear spirituality and they jump to religion and people mess things up. There's good and bad people and everything. I like to say 50% of people are dumber than average and people <laughs> laugh it's like an old George Carlin a stand-up comedian who's now passed away he's used to say that he's like imagine how dumb the average American is now 50% are dumber than that right it's like you walk into a Walmart or a Target or a store here and you're like wow they're not the brightest and like hopefully I'm in the top 50% but it's sort of like 50% of people are you know kinder than average 50% of people are meaner than average 50% are worse than average or more sinners than average or whatever but I think people tend to ruin systems or like you get a guru and he's or she are human and they kind of like have their time and then they do something wrong and bad things happen. And big systems tend to find people with power and control who and corruption happens and systems rise and they fall and religions rise and fall over time and churches rise and fall and there are people, good churches and bad churches and good people and bad people in all religions I think people like to group that into like, that must mean that whole religion is bad. And that's not necessarily true. It's the same thing of like trying to just binary choose yes or no for stuff, which we need to actively work against to have more inclusion and love and community. But I think the people who have the most spiritual faith right now have been doing the best on a mental, emotional level and a physical level. What I see is I see people like Ben Tapper oh my God, I'm going to get like actually emotional. But I went on this road trip and like saw all these inspirational people. And what I saw was the people who had the most faith, who had the most spirituality, were the strongest in their convictions. It's like when your conviction becomes bigger than your complacency, speaking out is easy. And I think the people who have the spiritual conviction they feel like they have virtues, they have value systems, and those value systems have been offended by the government or they've been offended by the medical system. And so they have no problem speaking out because they're like, God has my back. I trust in spirit. I trust in my faith. I trust that this is the right thing to do. And I think the people who have that level of hard belief in their values and their spirituality and their faith um, have had a very easy time staying grounded, staying in what matters, staying in community and faith and belief. They've had an easy time sort of like making it through. When you have a strong grounding in spirituality, you also have a strong tie-in on a weekly basis to what it means to die and the fear of death and what is after death. And a lot of people are being exposed for not knowing what happens with death. I literally have like a little sign in my kitchen that says with like a rainbow with a smiley face it says, we're all gonna die. It's very much like morbid, but it's like memento mori. Um, It's like remember death. It's a way to sort of like contemplate death on a daily basis or on a regular basis of like, what is after death? What does it mean to be alive? Fear of death is often a fear of not living. And I think those people who are living in the way that they want because they contemplate it at church or they contemplate it on a spiritual mindfulness practice on a regular basis they're not afraid of COVID. They're not afraid of death. They're not afraid of the government. They're not afraid of speaking out because they know what life is. They know what the meaning of life is. They know what happens after. They know that they're not afraid of life or death or anything in between. And I think it's extremely important to have that level of faith wherever you feel comfortable finding it. Yeah, I
0: love that. You said you said it so well around well, it's just the antidote to fear, right? You're saying, you know, it's like it's have... like
1: love and faith.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, I think that's a very solid place to <laughs> to round out. I mean, I can't think of anything more important <laughs> or or meaningful to end out on. So, I just want to thank you so much for for spending time with me and and sharing about bit of your work and your thoughts I think you're doing phenomenal things for people online and obviously in person and you're it's just so needed and I'm grateful that you're doing doing the work being courageous and doing the work because you're saying it's easy if you have faith but I think it still takes that
1: effort (laughs)
0: yeah I mean there's some conscious effort going on there right It it would be easy in another sense to just say this is too much or this is too big and i'm just going to kind of stay in my little bubble and do it locally but i'm not going to put my neck out publicly and i yeah i think the fact that you consistently are doing that day in day out (laughs) is so inspiring and meaningful so i'm really grateful for you and your work thanks
1: thank you yeah anyone can do it just have to start um it it is hard sometimes but i think i had a patient who is dying of a genetic condition who said the meaning of life was the balance between love and time and I think that's what I think about every day is like I think about death I think about just balancing the time I have that day and in my life with love I think if you do that it helps bring you back to your purpose and what you're doing with your life
0: so good yeah, I like. I I'm gonna. I'm gonna draw that. I like this visual you have in your kitchen. It's.
1: I'll send you a picture. It's a
0: good. Remi- it's a good reminder. I think. Yeah. Balancing. Love. Balancing love with. You said balancing love with what Love you, and time. Love and yeah.
1: time. He said the meaning of life was the balance of love and time. And he said, love without time is a tragedy and time without love is a prison.
0: This is just in one of your conversations. Like this just came out of a conversation? Yeah. Or
1: what? This is what a lot of my, like half of my patient visits are like Like this. They're just like super profound. And I just like, that's why I love what I do. It's just, it's great. Oh my God. Yeah. So like, that's, I don't know, but it sounds like it should be.
0: <laughs> heard by everyone like that sounds yeah. like it's out of I don't know five right? something that's crazy
1: I know wow yeah. put it in my book as like a quote that I wrote and I, I think I, I say it all the time because it's such a good quote I just it's like everyone should remember know that one and hear it you know so good
0: yeah I don't think I've ever heard the, just the relationship between the two I mean we say life is short Right, and we talk about life being suffering, so there's this suffering or pain component. Um, yeah. but the relationship between time and love, I don't think I've ever really contemplated, yeah, consciously. It's
1: like simple but profound.
0: Hmm. Most well, back to your point of well, logic or simplicity, you talked about that with diet, you talked about that with emotional solutions or finding a doctor like everything was like go back to roots go back to basics go back to just like what makes sense and is natural that's kind of like the theme of all of it so why shouldn't the meaning of life be (laughs) simple yeah i guess